Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. It's a good morning. Uh, we have, we've got a bunch of baptisms to do this morning, but before we do that, I do want to cover just a couple of things. I've got a short message I'm going to preach for 10 minutes, and I felt unbelief come in the room when I said it, I, but uh, I really am. Um, real quick here, I wanted to call attention to the uh, Kingdom Foundations class, or uh, really conference, March 13th through the 16th. Uh, many of you know who Randy Clark is, some of you don't. And uh, that, this is one of Randy's most foundational conferences. Randy was the catalyst for the Toronto outpouring. And uh, his, uh, just, he was the catalyst for a lot of global ministries to be launched. And uh, we have, we've hosted Randy and his conferences before, but it's been many years. And I really want to stress to you, you do not want to miss this. This is one of the most practical ways to be equipped uh, in, the, in spiritual gifts, in the supernatural. And so it's going to be the, uh, all day long, in the evenings, and as a Heartlander, you get a discount. And I don't know about you, but I like discounts. I'm a cheapskate. And so as a Heartlander, there's a code that you can put in there, and you get, you get a discount for this. And I want to stress to you, you need to come. Now, the nights are free. Uh, if you have, you know, if you've got to work during the day, if you're not able to take off work, come at night and uh, we're going to see, it's going to be a great conference. I've never been to a conference with Randy without receiving a fresh impartation and fresh supernatural miracles begin to break out in my life. And so uh, I really want to encourage you to come. So that's going to be, and so, but I want to I encourage you to sign up soon because they're looking at the, you know, the, who's, who's signing up, and we want them to know that we're going to fill this place. There's people coming from around the country to come, and I don't want you to miss out. That would be a shame. We host it, and no one from here gets to come because it's, it's full. So uh, get signed up soon, and it's going to be a great conference. Also, this morning, we're going to baptize people. If you want to be baptized, we do have some extra shirts. It's a little large. That was for before the fast. Uh, but... Uh, so we have extra shirts. If you want to be baptized this morning, we would love to baptize you. But I'm going to do a little teaching on it. Allie, there you go. Hey, look at that. Good catch. You know, we practice that all week. Um, okay, real quick here. We are, we're in a series on foundations. And so this morning we're going to practice what we've been preaching. But I want to kind of go over some ground and I want to tie together three things. Baptism in water, baptism in the spirit, and the laying on of hands. Now, we've been using as our text Hebrews chapter 6 where the, the writer says, let us leave the elementary teachings, not laying again the foundation. And he, he mentions six points that are foundational teachings in Scripture. He says, repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. We've already dealt with those. You can get them in the podcast from weeks back. Then we looked at baptism, instructions in baptisms and the laying on of hands. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And then the final two that go together is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We're going to be looking at those later. But I want to show you how baptism and the laying on of hands are intertwined. Now he says instructions in baptisms. There are multiple baptisms in scripture. There's John's baptism of repentance. John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, uh, instituted that. He was also the one that coined the phrase for another type of baptism, and that is the baptism in the spirit. 
John was the first one to use that terminology, and it's picked up by Paul, the apostle. And so we have John's baptism of repentance. Then we have Christian baptism, which is building upon what John did. It's not just repentance, but it's a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 says when we do that, we are baptized into Christ's death. And then the third one is the baptism in the Spirit. And in that baptism, we're baptized into Christ's body. That is not, it's not that you are born again in that baptism, but you are baptized into his body by the power of the Spirit. And so we're going to look at, those three things go together. Now, in the New Testament, the normal pattern was they would baptize them in water, they'd come up, and just like Jesus, they would lay hands on them, and the Spirit would come upon them. If you look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, both in those instances, there's five instances in the New Testament, or in, in the book of Acts, rather, that talks about people being baptized in the Spirit. There's Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit fell on the disciples and those who were, were followers of Christ already. The Spirit fell on tongues of fire, and they began to speak in unknown tongues or languages. Uh, Acts chapter 8, same scenario. The disciples had heard about some people that had come to the Lord. They've been baptized in water, but the Spirit had not yet come upon them. So the disciples went to the city, laid hands on them, and the Spirit came on them in power, and they spoke in tongues. And so we have this second instant. It's through the laying on of hands. Paul, when he was baptized in the Spirit, it says that Ananias laid hands on him, and he was, he was healed, and he was filled with the Spirit. And then you have in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes, he arrives in Ephesus and intercepts some guys that were disciples of Apollos. Now, if you look in chapter 18, it's, it's talking about this guy Apollos. He was a very gifted teacher, but he didn't know as much as he needed to know. He was a believer in Jesus, he was a follower, but it says explicitly in chapter 18 that he only knew of the baptism of John. So even though he understood Christ, even though he was saved, he didn't understand what the water baptism that the church was in, uh, utilizing, or the, the, the filling of the Spirit. So when Priscilla and Aquila, they were this apostolic husband and wife team, they intercept uh, Apollos and they start teaching him and he goes with them and he, they're going to teach him kind of fill in the gaps of his theology. Meanwhile the apostle Paul arrives in Ephesus and he meets these disciples and he said have you received the spirit since you believed? And they said we didn't even know there was a spirit. And they said what baptism were you baptized into? You see how Paul connected the spirit coming on them with their water baptism because there's a connection. So Paul taught them and then they were baptized into the name of Jesus, and then Paul laid hands on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And so we have this pattern in Scripture. And so we're going to get into the whole thing of the laying on of hands, because there's other doctrine that is connected to that. And I know it sounds strange to many of us to think of the laying on of hands as an elementary teaching, a foundational doctrine, like this is beginner stuff, like it's central and foundational to the Christian life, and it's something we as modern Christians rarely emphasize. And we do it much to our own detriment. 
We need to understand that the laying on of hands is a foundational doctrine. So we're going to unpack that, God willing, next week. I think he is, but I won't make any promises, okay? Uh, But we'll, we'll probably look at the laying on of hands next week. But so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to baptize people in water. They're going to come up out of the water. We're going to have the elders lay hands on them over there. And we're also going to bring people forward this morning for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to lay hands on you. If the Spirit of God has not yet come upon you in power, if you've not yet received your prayer language, we're going to, we're going to lay hands on you and God's going to baptize you in the Spirit. Now, there's a question people have. It, do you have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I would say, why wouldn't you want to? I have seen people baptized in the Spirit that have not yet spoken in tongues. They began to be used in other gifts, but it's a mental block because they think that what's going to happen is God's going to begin to speak for them, and so they stand there silently waiting for God to speak through them. But the Scripture is very explicit, and it says it this way. They spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. And so God uses your tongue, your vocal cords, your voice, And so you have to speak in order to speak in tongues. And here's another thing. You can't speak in English and speak in tongues at the same time. You can only speak one language at a time. And so when I was baptized in the Spirit, I was 12 years old. My dad was pastoring this little church in Burt, Iowa. Anybody know where Burt is? Woo, Burt. It's like... uh, growing up in Mayberry. And uh, so my dad was pastoring this little church. We had right in the center of town, he was this old movie theater. So we had the little flip seats. And uh, we were in church one Wednesday night, I believe it was. It might have been a Sunday night. And uh, we were back there worshiping. And I, and I said, that's a very generous term to call the kind of music we had worship. Uh, it was, there was a lady on an upright piano that couldn't keep a tune. And uh, it was, and the rest of us didn't help. But Jesus was there, and he, he accepted, you know, there's make a joyful noise, that's what it was. It was noisy. And uh, so we were worshiping, and the Spirit of God came on me, and I remember my dad saying, you may be seated. And I thought, seated? I'm going to be raptured. This is amazing. I mean, God was all, I was, I was in love with Jesus, and I was worshiping. I was 12 years old, and I was, oh, Jesus. I thought, man, I'm so excited, I can't even talk. And I would stop myself, and with all my efforts speaking English, and then my tongue would trip up, and I kept stopping myself. And all I know is my life took a turn that night. Two years later, I go to Bible camp, and there's a guy preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he said, if you want the baptism of the Spirit, come forward. So I ran up there, my little 14-year-old self, and I'm positioning myself to worship. And uh, I'm praising, praising the Lord again. Oh, Lord, man, I'm so excited I can't talk. Jesus, And finally the evangelist came over, laid hands on me, said, son, you've got it. I thought, got it, I've had it. I didn't know it. So I wasn't using it. And so I had to learn to allow myself to speak in tongues. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is very clear. Your native tongue I was speaking to a gentleman, Arthur, this morning, and uh, he speaks multiple languages. I told him, you know, you know the saying that if you speak two languages, you're bilingual, three languages, you're trilingual, one language, you're American. And uh, he, he's, he's from a Russian gentleman, speaks all kinds of languages. I was very jealous. Uh, when you're speaking a language you understand, Paul said, your mind is praying. You can pray with your mind. 
So Paul says, I will pray with my mind or my understanding, and I will pray with my spirit. When you speak in an unknown tongue, it's literally your spirit. That third dimension of your nature is actually worshiping the Lord. Now here's one of the great values of that. When you're speaking in tongues, I don't know about you, but my puny little brain can get easily bankrupt and I'm at the end. I don't know what to pray for. I can't figure this out. But what I can do is I can step away from my understanding and my spirit man can pray and engage heaven. And I can pray according to the Holy Spirit. Many of you remember Miss Sandra. Sandra Collier and her husband Quimby were on staff with us a number of years. And I remember Sandra telling me this story when she first got saved. She had a prayer partner and they would pray together all the time and they would pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. And her friend said, Sandra, have you ever taken French? And she said, no, I've never studied French. She said, I have. You were speaking perfect French. Now here's the, here's the interesting thing. In English, she kept praying, God, give me a new heart. I need a new heart. But in tongues, she was saying, God, thank you for my new heart. Her spirit understood she'd received something her mind was longing to receive but didn't yet know she had. Kind of like me. I didn't know I had it. And so your prayer language is a very valuable thing. And so I want to encourage you. When we lay hands on you, if you need the baptism in the Spirit, we're going to lay hands on you, and God wants to give you a prayer language because he wants to build upon your prayer. He doesn't want you to be limited to your own understanding. He wants you to pray from your Spirit by the Spirit so you can pray God's will back to him in that great partnership. So uh, real quick here, I want to read one, one quick thing here uh, because we're going to be baptizing people in water. And there is a lost second vow the early church used to make at water baptism. You know, when I got married to my wife, I stood before a church full of people and I made a commitment that she was now going to be my wife. But there was also this unconfessed renunciation of all other women. I was not only committing myself for her to be my girl, I was also renouncing all former girlfriends. She was my one. And that's what it is when you serve Jesus. You're declaring your allegiance to him. You're saying, Lord, you're my one and only, and I'm going to serve you. There are no other gods before you. I'm going to walk after you. You are Lord. And from here on, it's not a coincidence. When Jesus went down in the water, he came up and it said, after that he was led by the Spirit. That is to be the mark of a water-baptized person. That from then on, you are led by the Spirit of God. He is your Lord. He is your Master. The early church, they had, they had a dual confession. They would confess Jesus as Lord, and most churches do that. We say, Lord, you know, I, I confess my sins. I, I believe that he died and rose again for me. I commit my life to him. I surrender. He's my Lord. But there was an added dimension in the early church of a renunciation. Let me read you some early church fathers here. Uh, some of you have heard of Tertullian. He was an early church father. Listen to what he said. Tertullian of Carthage writes, when we, were going, when we are going to enter the water, but a little before, in the presence of the congregation and under the hand of the bishop, we solemnly profess, and this would be their profession, 
that we disown the, the devil, his pomp, and his angels. I think that's fascinating, his pomp. I'm not even sure what that means. But uh, you, his, his ceremony, his activity is really what it means. The apostolic tradition, an early third century Egyptian handbook to, to church order, records a similar instruction. It says this, the presbyter taking hold of each about to be baptized shall command him to renounce, saying, I renounce thee, Satan, and all thy servants and all thy works. In a series of lectures designed to prepare the catechism for baptism by Cyril, he lived in 313 to 386, he describes how this renunciation was practiced at the church of Jerusalem. One night before their baptism, after candidates entered the outer hall of the baptistry building, they were told to face west, and in their mind, that symbolically or prophetically symbolized the region of darkness. They stretched forth their hand as though he was standing before them, and they would say, I renounce thee, Satan. And so we, we, we cut that up. It's the allegiance to Christ meant renouncing, rejecting, and repudiating the reign of believers the, belief that, the reign that believers were formerly under. And so it's that idea that we are being translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. There are a lot of people who bring baggage with them into their Christian walk because we failed to do that part of the work. That there is a breaking with former allegiances and alliances and activities in this day and age, the rise of occultism and people getting involved in those things opens spiritual doors that you must close. And we want to do that this morning in baptism. It's much like the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt, and the, the enemy Pharaoh and his hordes were chasing them. If you've seen the movie Ten Commandments and, and uh, Charlton Heston, who's always standing there flexing in the movie, he, uh, and they, they get to the, the, the Red Sea, and Moses, in a very dramatic he lifts his rod and the, the sea parts. They go across on dry ground. And when the enemy tried to chase them through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea, it washed in on them and the enemy was wiped out. They didn't have to worry about the enemy following them into the promised land because the baptism in the Red Sea took care of it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.